Welcome to Talking Out Your Arts with Shock Therapy, uh, the podcast where we explore art and creativity and how it exists in hidden places in our world. I am Hayden Jones and this is Sam Foster and we would like to thank you for joining us once again. Uh, this episode we had a very fascinating and interesting and in-depth chat with a very good friend and collaborator and colleague of ours, Luca Lesson. Mm. And uh, who, if you don't know, uh, he is a renowned uh, poet and uh, I guess uh, in particular a, a performance poet, a slam poet. Slam poet. Um, and a hip-hop artist. And, yeah. Um, bit of a jack Rapper, of all musician. Dream, a teacher. A storyteller. That's right. He does a bit of everything. And Historian. Yeah, we and we kind of covered quite a lot of that mm. uh, in in our chat with him. Um, he's uh, he's a fascinating character and and very well read and passionate. And um, we get into his heritage as a as a Greek Australian and and how that influences his work and has influenced and continues to influence his work. Uh, we talk about the nature of words and you know storytelling. Through history, yeah, yeah, and his evolution as a, as a, in the art of, I guess, piecing words together to create meaning, um, and he's become obviously so much more than that. And now his his evolution as a husband and a father, and how that's uh, impacted his practice. And he really is a guy that 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 lives and breathes uh, as an artist. It's just it's kind of it's all through his being, isn't it? He's a, yeah. he's a creative soul. And he's very socially conscious. Um, and he, everything he does seems to be kind of an expression of that. Yeah, and and look, I, I may be biased because he's one of my dearest friends as well. But he's just a just a legendary person, and it was really great to kind of chat with him in this capacity. And and I think we're both kind of fans of his as well. So it's kind of mm, and and totally. I know he's fans of of our work as well. So it was kind of this nice. Uh, I think that's important in the arts world to have other artists and he does he does different stuff to us we don't do the same thing and so to be mutual fans of each other's work is um is part of what binds us together and and unites us as as comrades i think um so yeah it's a really fascinating chat we hope you enjoy it um if you're new to the podcast uh by all means go ahead dive right in here have a listen to this one see what you think water's warm Water's warm. It's cozy. Don't tip the don't dip the toe in. Bomb dive. Yeah, and you don't even need if you don't have bathers don't or togs. Don't worry about it. Just overrated. Know. Yep, yep. Take a dip. Take a dip in the shock therapy pool. Yep, that's right. Okay, as they say. Yep, and uh, or you can go back and listen to some other episodes. They're not really in order. Like you don't have to have listened to another. They don't. They're independent, freestanding. Yeah, just chronology just has jump nothing in to do with that. Yeah. Yep. But there are some other fascinating chats with some fascinating human beings. So. I don't know how we know so many great, interesting people to talk to, but we're very lucky. I'm surprised that, you know, such capable, intelligent people associate with us at all, Sam. <laughs> you know, I kind of look around and go, why Why are they saying yes? Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's good. It's good it, for us. Hey, not complaining. Not complaining. Not at all. Um, also, a new announcement Uh we have set up a Patreon page, haven't we? Yeah, apparently so. Yeah. We have, where you can give us monies. Yes, and the purpose, for those of you who don't know what Patreon is, it's a fantastic platform uh, for a lot, a lot of artists use it, actually. 
in fact, Luca himself mm. also has a Patreon page. So if you are a fan of Luca Lesson and you want to support him, you can um, mm. support him directly through his Patreon page. It's great because it's basically created, it's going to sound like an ad for Patreon, but it's created a kind of a new model for artists to survive. You know, I guess it's for people to who go, I value art and I value artists in the world being able to create art. Mm. Um in a society where often that's not valued, you know, it's it's something that we see that's kind of at the bottom of the priority list, you know, arts. Arts, when we've got everything else in order, in order we can get to the arts. Um, like it's this, uh, you know, like it's this, uh, you know, uh, additional kind of um, luxury. Yeah. But, uh, but for people to go, actually, I, we need artists in the world and, and this is a way to support artists so that their lives are sustainable. And I think... For us, we've never really needed to rely on it or think about it because we are in the live performance industry primarily or up until now we have been. So there's always a ticket that someone can buy a ticket mm -hmm. and they support us through purchasing a ticket. Mm -hmm. But now that we've entered into this podcasting world, we want to keep this kind of free and accessible yeah. to as many people as possible. But obviously, as you can imagine, there's work and time that goes into recording, producing, editing these podcasts. And exactly. so in order for it to be sustainable, we had to come up with a model that was kind of fair and equitable and worked. And, you know, we're fans of podcasts and a lot of the podcasts that we listen to uh, rely on Patreon. And so that kind of became the reason why we went, well, maybe let's set up a page and see if we can get some support. So, yeah, it's a value exchange. So if you if you uh, find value in this podcast for yourself, you get enjoyment out of it, um, you get insight out of it, um, and you want to spare a few bucks uh, to contribute to its ongoing existence, um, it can be little, it can be a lot, it can be a yeah. one-off, it can be ongoing. Um, it's just a way for you, like uh, seeing a performer in the street, to throw some money in the hat and, and enable us to keep doing this and keep putting free podcasts out yeah that's right so uh patreon.com slash shock therapy productions uh you can check out all the information there and as i say if you also want to while you're there support luca lesson and his patreon page get on board and support that um other than that yeah enough of the boring stuff yeah uh, let's get into this fascinating chat mm -hmm. with a with an inspiring and talented mm -hmm. human being luca lesson Well, Luca, uh, thanks for joining us on Talking Out Your Arts. Um, <laughs> I yeah. forgot about the name, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> We're, uh, we've become quite um, adept at talking out not only our own arts, but other people's arts. Yeah, talking out your arts is... Yeah, yeah. plural. <laughs> <Twitter. laughs> so with pants on. Yeah. It's like wearing a mask. It's like trying to talk with a mask on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, it's all up from here. That's As we yeah. start, we figure if we start low, and then yeah, with every it's all episode, uphill. You introduce the name, and and then it's all uphill from there. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, yeah, thanks for joining us, man, and um, thanks for taking some time here in your Pleasure, lovely, man. lovely abode to yes. have a have a yarn with us today. And um, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> it's uh, you've had a lot of uh, changes to your life yeah. recently. The big, the big change. Tell us about that young. phase that you're currently in. Yeah, a young, a young human. My wife and I had our first child. 
Uh, yeah, two months ago, and I'm, I'm, I'll never be the same. <laughs> <laughs> for in, better or for worse. For better or for yeah. worse, but mostly for better. It's been an awesome journey. It's been yeah. really, really powerful, strong, um, intense at times, difficult, um, more amazing than anyone ever explained to me, and, and probably more difficult than anyone could ever explain to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that definitely, I think, has brought the, the best out of me in many ways. I always wanted to be a dad, and I feel like something's finally clocked clicked into place I feel like a, a little piece of the lifelong jigsaw mm. has like arrived mm. and and it feels right and feels like I feel feels weird to say but I feel complete in a way like I feel like some sense of like uh, a mm. lot of my energy maybe was directed in in many other things or maybe I had way too many ideas of you know I feel like now there's a human in my life that me and my my wife have to look after that I don't know, it's just really stripped back all the extras that I don't need to be doing. And mm. just like really, because my time's limited now, way more limited than before. I'm like, all right, what are the, what's the one thing that I really want to get done? Mm. Yeah, it makes you prioritize uh, and, and reevaluate what is essential. And, uh, yeah. you know. And meet yourself, you know, like if, you know, what is the art that I want to put in the world knowing that he's going to witness it, you know? What is mm. the song or what is the show about or what is the book about or you know what are these things that i want to leave it's interesting yeah that's that's a really evil witness yeah that's an interesting point and i think we can all relate to that and there's four of us in this room and we're all fathers and um you know that you touched on something really cool like they they bring out the best version of you you know and i feel the same thing when with my daughter i feel like that's like I wish I was that guy all the time, you know, mm. like that guy's a, uh, the, the, the best version of myself by a long shot. Yeah. So Anything. do I, Hayden. I wish yeah. you were that guy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you do the opposite. You bring out the worst in me. But, but I've got to take responsibility for that. Right? Um, <laughs> but uh, that idea that, you know, that your child will view your art, you know, your expression of yourself mm. one day. Um, you brought up when – when you had Essie, it was like um, the idea of legacy became more apparent to you, I remember. Yeah, not so much. I don't know. Maybe there's some ego wrapped up in the idea of legacy. I think mm. there probably is. It's probably it's probably always part partly the case. But, yeah, I was like, well, I'm, uh, you know, I've had her a bit later and you sort of think, well, I don't, I don't know if I'll still be performing time she's, you know, 15 and, you know, kind of old enough to watch our, our work and, yeah, so it's interesting. You go, what, what will they make? If on one hand, I want to watch them, but will I still agree with, you know, the work that we're making now when mm. I'm when I'm in my late fifties? And mm. how do you like? What what sort of thoughts have you had about that? About have you looked back on the work you've made in the past? And is there anything you've made that you that you um, you know, if your son was going to view that maybe you would maybe stuff you yeah, you wouldn't it's, share? It's, or it's funny, hey, like you would think that. I made all the wild stuff, you know, before I had kids and now I'm going to have a kid and I'm going to make nice, you know, like things about love, which I am. But, you know, like (laughs) nice, simple, easy, you know, like easily digestible, good things because now I've got a child and I have responsibilities. But I actually feel the opposite. I feel as though I wasn't fully raw and honest enough earlier in my career. Um, I didn't really talk about 
everything that was going on for me in terms of mental health and I talked about it but I didn't exactly make songs or make poems about it that much um, a lot of people would say that I'm super um, I don't know authentic and vulnerable in my work but I actually look back and I go you know what I could have been more vulnerable so that when he gets to that age he might be able to feel less alone by witnessing mm-hmm. the depth there's of the a, work or the uh, diversity of the work I think there's uh, you've always you know, I think any artist has to be able to tap into a certain level of vulnerability and you've already mm. always been able to do that. But I've noticed uh, uh, an honesty in your work mm. of late that um, is different. It had a, a, mat- a maturity and yeah. an honesty that I think is yeah. probably what you're alluding to that is yeah. is kind of on another level to, you know, a lot of your stuff in the past was, was very issue-based and you would kind of be very vulnerable about those mm. issues, but it was – it was almost like a a, a a character often that that was kind of telling yeah. it from that perspective, and then now it's it feels like there's a lot more like the the real the real Luca is kind of coming through. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I, I know we we had a chat recently too. I mean, it's already impacting your art like directly mm. with the the latest you know tracks that you're writing yeah. are directly about you know, him and, and mm. your new role. So that's quite interesting how that's... Yeah, and that conversation about legacy is really important, you know. In ancient Greek and the Iliad, they talk about kleos as a concept that that um, was really pursued by the ancient Greek warriors, um, that their name will be spoken mm. about mm. in the future. You know, that's why Achilles is pursuing his, you know, mastery of warfare to find Cleos and to be remembered forever because he could have stayed home. He didn't really care about the war, didn't really mm-hmm. need the war. He didn't really care about, you know, Helen being stolen or, you know, mm-hmm. some dude chasing after his wife that probably wanted to leave him anyway, you know. Like, yeah. He's like, doesn't really care about it, but um, but he sees it as an opportunity for Cleos. Yeah, and maybe like you said, this idea that you, you, you reprioritize and you, you start giving less fucks about the things that don't matter, like what people think. Um, mm. And all that matters is being, being authentic, and in a way, kind of beating a path. Yeah, you know, and by with your honesty in your work, and 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 really speaking your truth in a way, you're you're beating a path and, mm. and setting an example. I remember the day my my daughter was born. Sam sent me a poem. Was it from the Alchemist? Mm. Uh, except from maybe from the Alchemist, and it was. I just remember the general concept of it was this idea that. The child is like your arrow, and you become oh, yeah. the bow. That's and Khalil you, Gibran. That's uh, a prophet. Yeah, that's yeah. a prophet. Yeah. Just another sappy book. Don't yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> but it really resonated with me. This it's idea awesome, that actually, man. actually, my job is to set the conditions and and be the person that can propel them as far forward that's as possible. Right. Yeah, that's important. And that, yeah, I, I think in Australia there's a real serious tall poppy syndrome. And sometimes when we talk about legacy, we automatically kind of shut ourselves down because, you know, we don't deserve that or it's ego driven or it's whatever. But if you've got, if you've had the calling, you know, and you, and you know what your path is in life, I think it, I have been at fault, I think, in the past of like not doing as much as I could have or not, yeah, just being fearful of, of pursuing legacy, you know, mm. for fear that it is an egotistical thing and not... Yeah you know, actually something that's going to influence culture for for years to come beyond 
our you know own lifetimes you know yep. they say yep. you should leave the world better than how you found it mm. but then they also say oh but you shouldn't pursue legacy because it's all ego driven mm. right. you know like yeah. we're all going to leave mm. the footprint like no matter yeah. whether you're mm. conscious that's right or not. Yeah. that's right and and yeah i want my footprint to yeah to be something that people can can draw from i think it's about being conscious of you know your now responsible for an, a new life coming into the world, you know, you, you become acutely conscious of your actions, your words, your everything you're doing, mm. and if and so that for me trickles over not just into uh, how you parent and and live your life, but the work that you produce as well. And mm. and I don't know about you guys, but for me, when when I was really young and at the beginning of my career, so it's mm. kind of very different for the two of you. You're at you're already established in your career and then you have a kid. I, I was just starting. You know, I think that there, there may have been some fear at that at 19, you know, having a having a child to go that that's going to somehow stifle my ability to to be have a have a mm. career, but it, it did the exact opposite. It actually it was like a V8 engine that just kind of drove mm. me into I was like, okay, now I really got to now I've really got to take this seriously yeah. and make this work, you know. So mm. I, I was, think it can be a strong motivator too. Yeah, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day that they've had a baby similar time as us and, and he was saying that there is a real, um, instead of seeing the baby as like a hindrance to career and, and this thing that's getting in the way, but to actually parent from a position of like through what we are called to do with fatherhood or parenthood is the path is kind of revealed to us of how to be better or how to be more disciplined or how to be more focused or how to cut the fat of the, the bullshit things that they would we would say yes to and also kids are almost like the best excuse ever you know like people hit me up for all sorts of things and i just say oh, i've just had a baby and they're like oh cool no worries man don't worry yeah. about it you know like, you you use, know, like using that for 18 years yeah. oh, sorry i've just had a baby exactly. you, you can be you can be late to everything for the next 18 years now it's epic man so I really love that. You know, I've been walking with my son every morning, um, you know, strapped to me for a couple of hours. And there's no way I'd go for a walk by myself for two hours and contemplate. And it's almost like a meditation or I mm. listen to like an audio book or, mm. or I listen to something inspiring or I, you know, talk to him or I, you know, or even when I'm singing to him, new melodies are coming all the time that I'm then putting in songs, mm. you know. So through, through my relationship with him, the career can flourish, you know, the, the creativity can flourish rather than seeing him always. Because the last thing I want to do is have a be resentful, you know, of my kids. Totally. Mm. I have friends who, whose um, dad is a, a painter and a poet in Spain. Yeah, and they grew up and, and they look at his career and he's like, oh, if I only didn't have kids, I would have been, you know, way further ahead. And he said that to his kids, you know. So this is like the last thing that I want to I want to be, mm. and I, the last thing I want him to feel, you know, yeah. that he's been in the way. Um, yeah. I wonder if it's just worth um, jumping back a little, just because I'd like to know a little bit about your journey and how you got to, you know, sure. where you are. Yeah, I guess, I guess I don't know that we nah. covered that. That's <laughs> right. I mean, we got deeper. People, <laughs> this guy anyway. People can. Uh, we, we'll put all the links in the show notes, and people obviously you're easy to find on the internet and find out, you know, who Luca Lesson is, yes, but and we would have done a little bio intro, which by now you've already heard. Yeah, yeah, retrospectively. <laughs> um, but um, I guess maybe a starting point for that kind of conversation too is what do you, what do you, what do you now define yourself as? Mm. 
like because I know I know what you do is quite broad. So what I'm interested what you how you define yourself and then maybe kind of back from there how you where you started and how you got to that you know definition of of the kind of artist that you see yourself as now. Mm. I yeah, I'm really this whole period of not doing shows since a lot of closures and deciding not to like hustle and try and do little shows anywhere I can and actually like work do workshops online and do an online course and and wait until this big show is ready for Brisbane Festival has given me a lot of space to like think and really consider like who I am and what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and I realized that yeah I'm a writer performer memorizer rapper um poet but really I'm I'm observant I'm a really keenly observant person and I'm really hungry for knowledge kind of person and I just like any other artist I have an art form that is where I do the alchemy you know from what I observe and what I learn and what I soak in my way of um, dealing with all of that of tussling with all of that and and spitting something out the other end is through words uh, primarily and usually I'm more of a fan of oral traditions so although I have written books I'm more of a fan of presenting those words myself so I started I fell in love with that journey through hip-hop so that's like a foundation for me 100% rhyming is really important to me but that I wouldn't just the, these words that we need to use for the public really or for people that book us um, that define these little things that we do into nice tight bite-sized you know boxes they're just words honestly that i use for everybody else i don't really use them for I, I, me anymore. i think that's con- i know i identify with that now that the more my career goes on the harder i find it to define what i am as a like how so what do you do i'm like well do lots of stuff and like so that uh, that i identity around mm. just kind of the broader i think the umbrella of going i'm just an artist or i'm a storyteller or something mm-hmm. is is more suitable because uh and i think uh, i've observed that a lot of artists that the more time they spend in the industry the less defined they get to mm. one title to go i'm a writer or i'm a director or i'm an actor or i'm a dancer like they they start to use terms like i'm a creator i'm a mm-hmm. i'm a you know uh a, yeah and the bio starts getting smaller instead of bigger like yeah. at the start you like want to write down everything you've done yeah yeah because yeah. yeah. you got to brag about <laughs> it and go oh, i did this oh, yeah, no, i did I this performed yeah. in a, you know yeah. in, a, in a friend's totally. garage in new york once it was that's a good point man i performed in new york that's a very good your point. language yeah as you say language gets broader and yeah uh, but but i i kind of dread that question every time i go to the barber you know um what do you do? Yeah. I, uh, if someone asks me that, I say, I'm a poet mm-hmm. or a writer. Mm-hmm. And then if the conversation goes longer... Yeah, go, cool. I, what do you do for a living, though? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I say that I do, a lot of, I do a lot of education work. My work also fo- focuses on young people, you know, expressing themselves and performing and doing so, schools. So, so that, that started that's... with hip-hop for you? Was that the first yeah, kind of in? I did my first hip-hop workshop at Milpera State High in Brisbane uh, in 2006 would have written my first raps in 2002 or three but um, that was like early university Um, and I was always good at English in high school English was always my best subject or languages I did Italian at high school too 
Uh, so that were my first, my top two subjects. And then my third best subject was ancient history. So it's like <laughs> pretty much I'm just being me this whole time, but I've needed to find a way to, you know, express those stories that I want to share and the interesting things that I find. So. And so, so with hip hop, who were your sort of your biggest influences that, that, made you fall in love with it yeah yeah so it's funny in high school i hated poetry but i was listening to you know tupac and i was listening to west coast stuff i was listening to bone thugs and harmony and i was listening to you know and then getting into notorious big and yeah just kind of stuff like that uh and the teachers never had that bridge of like how do we get this kid that hates poetry to understand that what he's listening to in his headphones is rhythm alliteration assonance rhyme storytelling meter you know like all these things that we're trying to teach them in the classroom that we we can't you know really connect the dots and unfortunately i think a lot of that was really because of racism to be honest i think that when hip-hop came out at that time in like the 90s in australia at least um because it came i guess a bit late for me to really discover hip-hop um mid 90s early 90s they it was seen just like punk rock was seen when it first came out. I think that's you know maybe like maybe partly racist. Reggae was seen when it first yeah. came out. You know, mm. seen as like you know angry black people. Yeah, you know, it's but crap. that's also ignorance as well. 100%. You know, because you go if anyone takes the time to actually listen and understand the form, whether it's punk or or reggae or hip hop, you kind of go, oh, okay, there's a bit more to this. Like yeah. on, on surface value, they kind of put it in a category and. But yeah. that these people that don't understand it also don't listen. Like ironically, go, have you listened to any of it? You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I, you know, I grew up in Brisbane, and and yeah, the you couldn't really separate ignorance or racism from ignorance or ignorance from racism. Closely right? connected. I think it's come a long way. I mean, we were at um, Somerset Story Fest yeah. recently and walked past one of the classrooms as we were packing up. You know, this is a a very wealthy. Yeah, I would say predominantly white. Uh, mm-hmm. students and they were overheard the teacher and they were dissecting lyrics from big daddy kane mm-hmm. and looking for these rules of poetry and pattern and rhyme yeah. and yeah. and metaphor and uh-huh. things like this and 100%. It's, yeah. it's changed so much since then but when i was at high school it was like get stop listening to that rap crap or mm-hmm. totally you know you know anyway it was it, so now basically that's my job you know like to build that bridge to go to a school and be like all right what's the curriculum look like you know, how can we and what is the, you know, the iPod of the student look like, um, you know, and how do we, you know, bridge that gap and um, get young people, especially young boys kind of going, yeah, I can express myself because I was the bad kid. At, I was the bad kid. I was good at certain subjects, but I was I was I was with a, a rough crowd and I was, you know, um, the bad kid at the back and I didn't give a shit about poetry at all. You know, so when when did poetry enter into your world? At what point? I think one major point was um, when I was in high school, when I was in year 10, my family, we went to Europe. And while I was in Europe, a friend of mine, my best friend, was hit by a car. And when I got back, he was already, he had already passed away. And my class had already been through mourning periods and funerals. And I just saw this mound of dirt literally um, at, the, at the cemetery and... It really hit me and my parents and my and my family and, and most of the people around me didn't really know how to deal with that, didn't really know how to give me um, solace or, or understanding or, or anything really. So I started writing a diary at night to him 
Um, so it wasn't Dear Diary, it was Dear Omar to him. Um, and every night at like midnight, I was like 15, 16, I was like smoking cigarettes and writing a diary to my friend on this little balcony that I had in my bedroom. And that was like the first encounter of me writing something to get myself out of a hole. You know, that writing could pull me through something. And then in year 12, I wrote my year 12 speech, final speech, um, about my friend Omar. And I found a poem about um, uh, two different trees. One tree that gets old and dies and falls down of its own accord. And another tree that is young and gets cut down as a sapling. And that they're both important and they're both powerful and they've both got their you know full story it's a complete story even if it gets cut down early um and that if you walk past both of those trees you you wouldn't say oh that's an old tree and that's a young tree you just say there's two trees you know um and i can't remember for the life of me who wrote that poem i lost that that assignment but that was my first encounter of me going i like this way of expressing things i don't think of poetry but i like this way of expressing things and then my mum, strangely enough, a Greek mother, bought me a copy of the Tao Te Ching when I was a kid um, from Lao Tzu, the Taoist text. And I loved it, man. I like At what age? At like 12 or something. Wow. Yeah. Um, wow. And I loved it, man. And I love... I, had, she, still, had she read... Had, was she familiar she, with it? She, I don't know. She must have been familiar with it somehow. She must have been into it somehow. She saw something in me and in this book and I don't know, something happened. Or maybe we were... T- I can't remember buying it at all, but I remember my mum my was the connector for that. And I still remember um, poem number six is about the, the empty space, how a window wouldn't be a window unless... There was nothingness there. At the mm. void. Yeah, yes. the, the, uh, uh, the spokes of a wheel wouldn't work unless there was nothingness there. Mm. A cup wouldn't be able to hold your drink unless there was a void there. So these con- there was like this conceptual stuff that I loved. And then I had a poster on my wall from Tupac that said, um, in the event of my demise when I should live no more, I hope I die for a principle or a belief that I live for. And that was from his book, The, the Rose That Grew From Concrete. He wrote, wrote a book of poems. So... I don't know when I fell in love with poetry, but I know that language and the ways of expressing things that language give us, um, that, that just made me go, yeah, I want to I wanna say shit that moves people, you know? It allowed you to make sense of the world too by the sounds of things. You yeah. were kind of confused. You, you're going, what the fuck does this all mean? And then you see this, this vehicle Concept, yeah. to be able to go, oh, Right. I can express myself in this way and make sense of myself and my world right. by using these this medium of words and um, yeah, yeah, that's powerful, man. I'm I'm still flipping out that your mum gave you a copy <laughs> of the Tao yeah. at twelve. Like that wild. that that doesn't seem accidental to me. I don't yeah. know. Maybe that's no, the hippie in she, me. But whether like, she where read that, it or knew it or not, uh, she obviously thought you were ready for it. That is yeah. that is such a powerful. It's probably the most powerful spiritual text I think that exists yeah. in the world. Yeah, well. And and the fact that like. I don't know. I don't think those yeah. things happen by accident. It's like mm. no, just going, oh, here's a copy of the Bhagavad Gita. Check yeah, this out. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's no, profound. It's really profound. And it, man, it explains a lot about you <laughs> as a person too, you know, mm. to get, you know, you, you're a deeply spiritual guy. And when we, we talk a lot about that 
mm. that we sort of share that uh, connection, I guess. And um, it's masterful parenting, though, isn't it? Oh, you know, like brilliant. that sort of intervention to mm. just go check this out. I can see you're going through a really hard time, and you're going through all this stuff, and I've been watching you, and and here's this thing, mm. and off. You yeah, go. I don't know what it was. It, it was before my friend passed away, but I'm, I'm not sure why um why it came about. But I was always into. I was into that stuff, like I was mm. called to that stuff, you know, like I was really into Leonardo da Vinci for a long time as well in my teenage years, this idea of the universal man and and his works like really, really got to me. I was like, that's who I want to be when I grow up. That was like the vibe. So, mm. so yeah, man, it's, uh, my parents are pretty open-minded, you know, like my dad was born in Brisbane and my mom was born in Greece and they met there and yeah they they saw the limitations of the community and the beauty of the greek community as well and and they yeah were thinking outside the box you know my dad was yeah they're both creative very creative people and you've touched on sort of why why poetry and what that gave you but you know for you 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 must have a very deep belief in um what poetry enables you to do that nothing else does like mm. like do you see it that our ability to express ourselves is is limited by the language we have and therefore you strive to almost overcome that by becoming a master of language and putting ideas together in 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 words yeah the problem with that though is that it's never ending it's like a it's like a completely like infinite combination of words that we can find to articulate this thing that makes us feel good about you know this thing that i thought this person i don't know this person sent me a hate mail and i'm gonna write you know something back and i'm gonna win the argument you know like words can be powerful but i I really the more i write the more i'm like what's behind the what's behind the words you know like what am i trying to articulate and i think the job of the poet you know where we're always looking to hit the nail on the head of any artist you know we're looking to be like all right i finally that canvas i smashed it all that show you know like we wrote the show we killed it you know we hit the nail on the head we made that point really well it hit home with Mm. the audience they got it you know they gasped at the right point they laughed at the right point you know like it it made it you know it worked like that's kind of this never-ending journey of of and i feel like i've only written a couple of poems that have really hit the nail on the head you know all of the other ones have been like close and close enough for people to enjoy them but not really like smashed it mm. um but that's what are the me. Couple, what are the couple that you think nailed it um, i'm curious that's a good question i think bones nails it um yeah which is a poem about suicide or, or about redemption i guess in a way or about resilience getting close to the edge and deciding to stick around i think that poem got it um antidote yeah. would you put antidote antidote in no i wouldn't put antidote really in interesting yeah. Probably yeah, your most, is it fair to say it's probably your most well-known Probably, piece? yeah, one of the no, most well-known. It's funny. I'm always interested because as, as artists, you know, there's the, there's, the, there's the shows or the songs or the, or the work that people know you for and then there's your things that you're like, yeah, but this one was actually better. Like, like every, yeah. every artist I know kind of ha- yeah. has their, their personal favourites versus what everyone else knows them yeah. for, you yeah. know? Totally. I guess sometimes those aren't the same. <laughs> it's Yeah, totally. I think it's really interesting because you, you're saying that you've seen in my later work now that my work is like more honest or whatever. But um, And I think that's true. But the interesting thing is that I haven't released anything really for a long time. Like I haven't released a, a new book or a show or an album. 
I you, guess I'm. You've uh, seen yeah, a lot yeah. that people haven't seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've almost kind of been working really hard behind the scenes for like five or six years, you know, yeah. without releasing any of Odysseus into the world properly, without releasing any of Agape and other kinds of love into the world properly. There's a whole other album that people don't even know about that I've been working on as well. So, um, yeah, I'm excited about the next few years to, to see what where this goes, you know, what these works. Yeah, mean. and it's taken a different form slightly, you know, those that you I've been lucky enough to get an insight into these longer form shows that you're writing really yeah. and, and the work within those shows rather yeah. than just an album or a new poem that gets dropped or a new yeah. a new song that you release or whatever um so i guess that's why i'm 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 able to see it in the context of like this epic kind of stories that you're now telling and how that's you've kind of gone to this other evolved in a in a completely different way as a as an artist now it's yeah. um, it's quite interesting to watch and observe yeah yeah it's been powerful man it's been powerful i feel like i'm a much better artist much better writer much more skilled much more like at the tools in, in control can almost do anything i want mm. um uh, yeah before it was it was a it was a struggle you know and i, and I love that struggle that's the beautiful struggle of art uh, and now I feel like a very different approach, very calm and considered and approaching things like with a much more open mind. And, you know, maybe we could take it this direction. Whereas before I'd be like, no, this is, it took yeah. me everything to write this verse. I can't change it and go somewhere else with it. Whereas you come up to me we're like, well, what if this character's actually thinking this? I'm like, oh my God, I just spent hours, you know, like, and, but I'm doing that enough times, <laughs> doing that enough times now. It's like, yeah, we can make him do that. All right, cool. If it serves the narrative, let's go, you know, which has been a, a whole big yeah. learning course. Learning. Just on that idea of form, um, you know, the form that poetry takes is quite quite broad. There's quite a lot mm. of different ways. You've got poets who, who write books and release volumes of poetry mm. and poets who do slam poetry, beat poetry, um, mm -hmm. performance poetry, rap. Mm -hmm. um, and now you're creating kind of theatre shows that mm -hmm. use poetry as the, and music as the vehicle. Mm. Um, how do you sort of decide, like, do you float, you obviously float across all those forms and mm. are there pieces where you go, that that actually needs to be a, a written poem and this, like, yeah. how, is there a process for sort of deciding what you want to do with an idea? Yeah, I. if you spoke to me six months ago, I would have said the subject matter dictates which one I do. You know, like, oh, I'm writing about this, that should be a page poem. Or I'm writing about this, that should be a, a rap. Or I'm writing about this, that should be a, a spoken word performance that is loose, that doesn't fit to a musical grid, that is, mm -hmm. that is like a spoken word piece that doesn't necessarily rhyme. Uh, and that's how I found things to be then. Now, I have been through a, a big learning curve and I actually think they can all be anything. Any subject matter can be anything. And it's actually up to what I want it to be. Should it be a page poem? All right, then I'll follow it down that road of a page poem and make it work on the page, which is a whole other kind of so then does, universe. Is that where then technique comes in? And you're like, okay, there's a, there's a certain methodology that I've got to use if I'm going to put this on page as like a different structure that I might follow or mm -hmm. um, different cadence or rhythms or yeah. words that I might use as opposed to if I go, oh, I want to do that as a rap, you kind of 
approach is completely different and uh-huh. how you write it. So yeah. it might be the same subject matter, but the but it your um yeah your your starting point, your approach, and and mm-hmm. the the technique that you have to actually use changes. Yeah. Is that is that yeah, kind of fair? Yeah, it's mental. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. ridiculous <laughs> because some people spend forever just being really good page poets, you know, and they mm. and they you know get kind of good when they turn. 60 you know um i'm way better i would say at the rap and the spoken word ways of writing um because like i said i'm more of an oral traditionalist kind of person i think that that's a beautiful way of sharing and, and there's and there's things that you can body. communicate in performance right that, you, right that you can't you know and we, and we find that as theater performers there's sort of there's layers there's the writing and then there's the performance of it, and you don't yeah. necessarily get that from reading a script. Yeah, I imagine it's the same it's in really your delivery. It's really interesting, though, because you would think that that means that you can say so much with your body that the the poem, when it's on the stage, can actually be stripped back because you're saying so much physically. But actually, I find when I approach the page, if I'm going to do something as a page poet, then it's better. The, the page poetry is always more stripped back. It's almost like you don't need to say half of the things that you would say on a stage. You don't need repetition. You don't need ands and ifs and buts and, you know, like all these kind of joining mm. words so much. Um, yeah, sometimes there's a whole, a whole line and it should just be two words from that line that just punch in. Mm. Yeah, the page is a very, very, very different thing. Mm. Um, and it's funny because tradition, you know, in the academic sense, people would say that page is the place. <clears throat> but for me, you know, people have been po- performing poetry for thousands of years more than we've mm, been writing on the page. Talking on the way down here, as I was curious, and uh, I think Hayden, you asked me about, you know, how he, your inspiration for getting into it, and and I I wondered whether it was going right back to that kind of the the original orators and storytellers as this kind of most pure ancient form of yeah. of you know before they drew the pictures they were drawing pictures about the stories that had been told to them by mm. the orator mm. or they they then you know uh, perform the dances that are based on the stories that were told to them by the orator yeah. in the and musiki in, in ancient greek it was it was never really like the word that we would use now for music it was never separated from a poet and a performer and a musician and theater and ceremony and spirituality and they were all just one yeah ethics and morality and this was musiki so so i didn't know that and that's the irony i guess or the all the like you're saying like kind of the meant to be of this whole journey of my life is that I never knew any of that when I was in high school. My teacher never said, oh, you're Greek and you hate poetry. Let's check out the ancient Greek Mm. stuff. Like never, ever, ever. And so hip hop was the nearest thing that I had that could speak to me because I felt like an outsider in that space. Mm. Um, I didn't didn't have an inroad or an understanding of what blackness meant. I didn't have that. I'd experienced racism, but not to that level. But I'd experienced it enough to feel like an outsider enough to really resonate with a black American experience more than a white Australian experience. Mm. And so without really knowing, I was tapping into the oral tradition of hip hop through the West African griots that brought, you know, this kind of type of poetry and oral tradition to to the United States, which then got turned into beat poetry and blues, which then got turned into spoken word, which then got turned into hip hop. And then I'm listening to it. And I come from a Greek background and I realized that, that the griots and the ancient Greek storytellers were more connected and more of each other's 
traditions of storytelling than than anyone thought you know so now it, it's kind of obvious that i was always going to end up writing you know hip-hop and spoken word poetry musicals using hip-hop and ancient greek stories it's like probably it was always yeah that's amazing <laughs> it was yeah. always going to happen you know like that's and that's probably a good uh segue actually into why you you now your your kind of whole brand is is the future ancients um is that is that exactly why you know like you yeah. just described is that sort of why you went oh this is exactly what i am and what i do and what i want to yeah. keep doing and what i want to yeah. keep putting out into the world is this yeah. kind of confluence of this ancient world wisdom mm-hmm. and this modern form or mm-hmm. future form i guess um yeah hip-hop you know like hip-hop i find is even though it may not sound exactly like it it is the closest modern form i think to the homeridae and the people that recited homer's works in the ancient world it's it's got so much information in it it's got an art language like a slang that's within it that the the odyssey and the iliad were written in an art language it wasn't a language that anybody spoke in ancient greek in ancient greek world it had it was like a an other language that everyone could understand so it wasn't just one you know kind of vernacular um i guess you could say shakespearean english could be there now these days because no one really uses it but we can go and understand a show and at um, the time they didn't they didn't speak that way either it was, that way. it was heightened even for <clears throat> yeah you know english it had speech. some elements of a certain dialect um but it wasn't one single dialect yeah. it was an art language yeah, interesting um so so yeah the the that influence of, of hip-hop and that that way of of bringing the ancient story into that new mode i feel actually in terms of the experience of the audience is more similar to an experience of an audience in ancient greece than somebody now reenacting the exact way an ancient greek would have performed it in ancient greece because that feels so foreign to us now yeah that's it wouldn't have felt that foreign in the day yeah it's interesting because poetry seems like it's become more and more niche in a way Mm. like you had poets who were kind of like famous, right? Mm-hmm. Super famous. They were they were th- pop stars. Yeah, they were they, they were rock stars. They would stars, win competitions. You know, they, they, there was in the ancient Olympic games. There were poetry competitions. Yeah, and they also had a competition Europe, of yeah. who would um, perform the Odyssey the best or sections of the Odyssey the best, and they would win, and they would get a tripod as like a trophy, and you know, like the, there was yeah, there was like a there was a full like. Poetry slam. Yeah, and I can't think of a modern day equivalent for a poet uh, that is purely in the in the poetry realm, mm-hmm. right? The closest mm-hmm. thing, as you say, would be a would be a hip hop artist like yeah Nas or something. Hmm. Yeah, that's um even but even then, yeah, it's slight. It's different, I guess, because hip hop. The main thing for hip hop, I think, for rappers is that they write their own work, whereas in ancient Greece it wasn't always like that. It was it was sometimes like that but also about how well you would recite homeric works um and and yeah to get back to your question yeah that that's the that the opportunity i get of doing what i'm doing and not just like i already know all this shit and now i'm going to turn it into a play it's like when i decided to do the decius i was like i want to learn about my heritage i want that to be a part of my everyday uh, so I'm going to choose this thing so that I have to dive into it as much as I can. So while I'm creating it, I'm learning and I'm, you know, also maintaining my cultural connections and 
feeding myself and spiritually and filling my my well you know of of who i am while creating something you know in my own style in my own way uh and sharing that with the world uh so yeah the future ancients as a company turned up because you actually said to me oh if we're going to do odysseus you're probably going to need a company and you're going to need to house it and it's going to need to be you know you showed me the ropes of this industry in a sense and and i was like well all right cool let's make this let's make this company the future ancients it's going to house odysseus and anything else that we do of that ilk so now it houses odysseus and agape and other kinds of love and generally everything i do kind of comes under that umbrella but more specifically this idea of taking ancient texts and ancient stories which in the future i hope do not have to be greek you know um we could engage other artists of other um cultural backgrounds and and you know also convert their stories well man i have to say when you brought me into the whole odysseus world not being greek it was fascinating to to delve into that world mm. and like, like the amount i've learned about mm. greek culture and ancient greek culture and homeric language and mm. just through being part of this production and this show for, mm. for so many years now it's it, it's it's a it's amazing it's it's such an honor and a, and a privilege to be work to to learn and and it's interesting that idea of continual learning this has come up a couple of times when we were talking to like richard norton the other day and mm about just like there's it's never any there's no end to learning you know mm. you're always learning and and that as an artist your your vehicle is also at the same time not just what you're putting out to the world but what you're learning about the world and your yeah. culture and yeah and your heritage i want to keep and you know in the shows in both shows there's a lot of of you know of me in there where i've gone yeah i'm gonna scrap that part of the ancient greek you know original story mm. and i'm this is my version is going to be this and there's also very specific clear you know down to a t moments of really what happened in the symposium or really what odysseus said like moments in the odyssey in odysseus where i'm actually reciting the prayer that homer records in the original odyssey in original homeric greek and i've memorized it and i'm performing it exactly how it appears in the original and then other moments where you know this is not what happened at all in the odyssey and i and i want people to come and not know mm. you know come and and not if you really know the story then you'll know oh that's in that's not that's real that's not there that's him that's you know homer yeah but if you don't know you just come and have this experience and you and i in some ways which is what a lot of ancient poets did they added to the mythology mm. of ancient greece you know a lot of what we read about myths in ancient greece they're written by humans, you know. They're written by poets and writers of the time, and they that, were probably taking creative license. Yeah, and so, and yeah. so there's different versions of myths. Yeah, you know? yeah. there's different moments of like, oh, in this version, you know, Haribdis and Scylla ate six men, and in this guy's version, they ate ten, and you know, like different. Things. That's interesting in line because we talked about that with Medea, like you know, how much do you honor the original story, mm. and how much do you interpret the original story, and that that balance between the two, and there's often a little bit of fear going, oh, you, that, you, that's you can't do that because you're dishonoring the story, yeah. but but like how you frame it is is actually well, that's an interpretation of the story, yeah. and is that not still honoring it? And have not people been doing that since they, the beginning of in, time? You know, even in ancient Greece, in like the classical period, 400, 500 BC, in Athens, when there's poets reciting the Odyssey on stages in front of people, they were talking about ancient people in their own minds. They weren't talking about present-day Greeks. Mm, mm. They were talking about Greeks from 1500 BC-ish. Mm. 
and then the Odyssey was kind of composed around 700 BC, and then 5-4, you know, all the way through kind of till till uh, the time of Christ, the, there was this honoring of that. But they, in their minds, were talking about ancient peoples. Mm. So it, this kind of idea of blasphemy that you can't change it. I mean, even trying to find, there's a great story, Persistratus, the, the head of Athens for a time, he wanted to have a, a competition of who was the best reciter of the Odyssey. And most academics today believe that that was the first time where they got some experts together and went, all right, what is the Odyssey? Like, what is the one version of the Odyssey that we're going to use to judge these poets on? Because mm. it's an oral tradition that's been shaped and changed and moved even in their own time. They had to sit around, imagine like a 30-hour poem, and they had to sit around and be clear on each line. Otherwise, they can't judge whether the mm. guy's done it right mm. or wrong. Mm. They need a they yeah. need a, a master copy. Can, can you, you know? talk a little bit about, because I mean, we've touched on it, people might have a, a general sense of you know, what you're doing with shows like Odysseus. Mm-hmm. But can you talk uh, in a bit more detail about what that project is and, and what you're doing with Agape as well, mm-hmm. just to give people a, a clearer sense of this yeah. kind of quite a new form that you're yeah. developing? Odysseus is a retelling or a reimagining, reimagining of the Odyssey, of Homer's Odyssey, in hip-hop and spoken word with a choir and a, and a live orchestra. Uh, that show also has projections pretty heavily used throughout the show as well. Uh, I play kind of a, an Encino man version of Odysseus. He's an he's a ancient Greek dude that knows what's going on in the modern world. So he tells his own story, um, just like in the, the original Odyssey where much of it is told in flashback. He tells much of his story in flashback to the crowd dropping hints and making links between the ancient and the modern world and and the myths and the symbolism for today with some political commentary in there so basically i'm on stage pretty much wrapping the entire story of the odyssey for an hour and a half with an orchestra and a choir in your own in your own words in my own words yeah yeah. so i've gone through And, and some you know quite a lot of uh greek language infused in there as well there's modern greek and ancient greek in there some sections of the odyssey memorized and performed in ancient greek but um, for the most part it's in english and i've just gone through the odyssey i spent a couple years really going through the odyssey and picking out the scenes and the moments that we felt were important and rewriting them in rap or spoken word poetry and creating a new show a new telling of it that is pretty strongly connected to the original but the modern pulling out and drawing out of meaning and drawing out of political commentary that's where the kind of the modern twist comes on the on the show and what sort of insights or conclusions did you come to what is who is odysseus today and what is the kind of the the modern like what's what's the story really about do you yeah in my version we touch on odysseus as he is arriving naked and broken and lost all of his men and all of his ships and landed on an island um, where nobody knows who he is and and he has to kind of convince them of who he is and I was looking at where he journeyed like what was his journey theoretically from the coastlines of Turkey or the the Trojan War is said to have occurred trying to find safety on a Greek island um, back home 
and finding many trials and tribulations along the way and taking him forever and, you know, wild seas and people trying to kill him and, you know. And I looked at the map of that and being close to my family in Greece and to what's going on politically in Greece, there's also been over the past 10 years especially a lot of people trying to also make treacherous journeys from the coastlines of Turkey to safety on a Greek island and finding many trials and tribulations, most of them refugees, especially from Syria through Turkey and then into Greece and trying to get from Greece into the rest of Europe. So this idea of Odysseus um, being uh, in some ways a boat person, and since so much of that story is is based on, on that, based on traveling over the ocean and the difficulties of doing that and the things that come in your way and the symbolism of those things that come into your way. Um, so that's one of the major metaphors that come, has come out in the story. And then, for instance, Haribdis and Scylla, these two monsters that he has to navigate between, talks about being stuck between a rock and a hard place and, um, you know, making these decisions of, of, you know, you have to make a decision that maybe sacrifices something of your life, but in the end, it's the only decision that you can make or being stuck for, for modern Greek people, at least being stuck between austerity of, of Europe and, um, and no jobs in your home country. Um, and what do you do in those situations? Do you flee? Do you stay the course um, and push through it? You know, so these types of things come up kind of again and again. It's almost a, a new metaphor for each um, for each chapter. You know, the Cyclops chapter in the show, uh, the one eye, the one all-seeing eye of the Cyclops is make a reference to. Um, being parallel to a big brother of the all-seeing eye that watches over us of social media and of of governments and of kind of like a, a 1984 type reference of of these types of um, you know all-seeing eyes that watch us all the time and how do we stab that eye and mm. blind it and escape um, so yeah these things have come up again and again um, and that's kind of how that show works it's almost like the each because it's so epic it's like each chapter which we've made into a scene has its own allegory mm. it's because it's kind of hard to i was reflecting on that as you asked that question actually going i don't actually know what the show as a whole really because because you're right each each scene or chapter has a specific allegory or metaphor that it's kind of that we've really sort of focused on and go what's yeah. this about and it's going to be interesting once you kind of stitch all that together. You go, what's the whole thing about? Because, well, you know, overcoming adversity, a hero's journey. You know? Yeah, well, yeah, that's hard. It's the anti-hero's that. journey. But taking it from this kind of mythical, fantastical yeah. story that is, I guess, could by some just be read as a as a good hoot, yeah, as a yarn, exactly, you know, an adventure tale to exactly. something that's really relatable. And if you don't know the references, then you can just come to the show and enjoy it. You know, if you're a kid, lots of kids came to the first in progress showing, and they were just strapped. You know, they were just like, wow. But if you know the references and and you hear, you know, I've tried to use language in this sweet spot that we talked about that doesn't reference too much. You know, I'm not going to say the word computer or mobile phone or yeah, but it doesn't place you in the future but it is enough to hint at the symbolism and the the importance of these ideas that we have in the modern world we wanted it to land in this ambiguous you know timeless space that was neither future or ancient or both or you know and 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 what's the response but like 
Do you have a particular following of Greek Australians or Greeks or people of Greek heritage in particular? Mm-hmm. And what's the sort of response to your work? Yeah, I do have I do have that uh, as a yeah fan base, you could say. Uh, I don't think they're the ones that are really going to be the main ones that are going to rock up to this show, though. They are going to be proud of it, and they are going to turn up. My community is a, a an incredible one, a diverse one, and the mainstream kind of component of my community is very Christian. And it's it's interesting that in Greece itself, Christianity has been so such a powerful influence. Um, the Byzantine Empire was actually much longer than the classical period of ancient Greece that is so famous. Um, there was 800 years of Byzantine Orthodox Christianity um, that was quite strong at the time. And in that period, a lot of this mythology was downtrodden uh, and was talked about like fairy tales in, in a negative sense. Um, and that it's just all about these weird gods and these ugly, you know, histories. And this god had sex with this person and they were sinful and they were terrible. What kind of a person to look up to is this? And so uh, there is a pride in the mythology, but there isn't as much of a knowledge or a love of the mythology within the, the mainstream. They kind of know the basics and they know that it's theirs and they're proud of it. But I actually find there's more real, like, dense love and desire and 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 um feeling and connection with it from people outside of the greek community i think that there's a lot of people that are just completely fascinated by it and about the archetypes that carl jung made so famous um where he used the archetypes of ancient greek gods and and people to um yeah to to analyze our our own psychology which is huge to think that even though the world is mostly not Greek, that somehow he was able to relay that in the Western world, these gods are influencing us still because that we use them as, as archetypes, or at least it's a good filter, a good lens to see humanity through. I'm pretty convinced that Homer, when he wrote it, you know, uh, his intention was to create an allegorical, metaphorical uh, tale for humanity to go, this is like a moral kind of compass yeah. for how to live your, this is a, I, I don't think it, from my research that we've done, yeah. I, I'm, I'm convinced now the more we delve into it, that so he had to know that he was writing something that was not a literal journey. It was, it was all, it was yeah. all intended to be this moralistic kind of allegorical idea of 100%. what it is to be a human and what challenge is and what loyalty is and all these themes. Yeah. It's so... And it was used like that in ancient Greece. Yeah, it it totally. was studied almost like a Bible. Yeah. It was the text. It was yeah. the it was the thing. And it wasn't even a text. They didn't sit and read it, you know. They had to experience it. And that in itself was a communal moment, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's Odysseus, which is a huge thing that we've been working on in the background for ages. And then in September, I'm premiering a new show called Agape and Other Kinds of Love, which is based on the Plato's Symposium, which was a dinner a dinner party where all these old philosopher dudes talked about love in different ways. Uh, and one of them was Socrates, and he talked about how this woman, Diotima, taught him everything he knows about the types of love in ancient Greece and this thing called the ladder of love, of reaching the heights of love and she never appears in the in the symposium um as as many people know you know ancient greece was quite 
quite misogynistic, so she wasn't invited. Um, and there weren't women really in terms of their voices being heard at these types of symposia. But she's a huge part. He's basically relaying her philosophy on love the whole time. So I thought, what if she was a real person and they actually were in love, not just you know teaching each other about love, but they have to be in love to learn love. Uh, what would their relationship have looked like? And so from there, this show developed where Socrates and Diodema are in love in the ancient world. And their two reincarnations, Sophia and Pavlos, are also in love in the modern world, both in Athens. And so it's like this uh, ancient, modern flashback uh, love story that talks about each type of love as you go through the, the love story. And are you the solo performer in the yeah. show? And how do, you, how, do you, how do you portray that story with sort of four central characters on your own? Uh, I've decided with this one, with Odysseus, I'm playing Odysseus and I'm in costume and I'm telling the story and doing the story. Uh, in this one, I'm just a poet. I'm Luca Lesson telling the story. I'm the narrator mm-hmm. telling the story. Mm-hmm. So I'm just playing myself and there's two musicians playing music throughout the whole show as well, two female pu- musicians, Greta Kelly from Brisbane. And... Is it... Yeah, can we? Is that is, that, is that official? We haven't spoken to her. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should talk Maybe to hold her. off. <laughs> <laughs> she said yes, but I haven't. I haven't called her back. Yeah, and the show's um, premiering as part of the Twenty One Briz Fest. Yeah, which so uh, we just spoke to Louise Bazina mm-hmm. actually, and, and just launched the program. Very yeah. exciting. Very exciting. Or depending now. on when we release this episode, yes. maybe we haven't yet spoken to Louise Bazina. Because we <laughs> you have to be. Yes, to at some point. Yeah. Around that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that show, I'm really excited about that show. It sounds complex, but it's, it's really not. It's like the same love story, but it's just happening in two eras. And uh, I've written all these songs about the different types of love. In ancient Greek, there was like seven different words for love. Uh, and and st- it's almost about how a relationship develops, you know, like how we how we are friends, or, and, or we have sex, and then we become friends, or we were from friends first, and then we make love, and then you know all these different types of love that grow between people. Uh, and yeah, it's populated by songs and raps and poems, and it's a it's a really I'm really proud of it. I actually I haven't touched Odysseus for a while because I've been working on this, and I'm, every day I work on this, I get even more proud of it. In some ways, it's cleaner uh, having read both of them and worked on both of them with you. It's it, it's almost much less complex. It, it sound you're right. It sounds more convoluted mm. than Odysseus, but mm. it's actually not. It's actually way cleaner and simpler mm. and straightforward. So it's yeah. quite interesting how that's happened. But yeah. um, it, it's, Odysseus I think is like it's a good one thing. man that goes to all these places and meets all these characters, and you know, yeah, you go, this you really like got to concentrate. Four, it's like, where is he now? Who is yeah, yeah, this yeah. person? Whereas this is like four characters mainly. But it's pretty much all happening in Athens mm. and they're all discussing the same mm. aspect, different aspects of the same thing, you know. just want to ask you what you think, um, you know, you sort of touched on it with what you're doing yourself as an artist. But what do you, what do you think now in, in and it's probably a good way to kind of as we wrap up, like what do you think the role of, of poetry and, and hip hop and, and writing and that written form in the world that we live in now, like what what role do you think that that plays and how do you see it manifest around you, not just maybe in the form of, of artists but in life, you know, we see 
politicians get up and give these speeches in front of in front of a crowd of people is it, mm. you what influence do you think that writing and being a, a good speaker a public speaker mm. an orator in front of people uh, how how relevant is that still in in the world that we especially in a digital world that mm. we live in now where everything seems to exist in this kind of virtual space yeah it's it's kind of crazy but it's like the same question that socrates had all those years ago if you can deliver a good speech if you can communicate well you win and he dedicated his life to helping especially young people um and especially young people that weren't necessarily of you know rich standing that because democracy in in athens at the time was almost like um being called up for jury duty so there were say 200 people and they all had one vote and it could be anyone in the community that gets called up to do to do that um when i say could be anyone it still excludes women and slaves and you know all the the <laughs> flaws that ancient greek that's a pretty big as- asterisk yeah, massive asterisk that yeah. more than half the population asterisk yeah. but it could have been any man really any free man citizen that could have get called up and if they had a good re- rhetoric if they could convince other people, if they had a good speech, basically, they could shift the way the whole democracy of the city-state of Athens moved and worked. And it's the same today. Like if, And it sucks because it's not just the speech, but it's also how good your video edit is, how good your podcast music intro is, how good your CD cover design is, you know, like whatever your communication means are. But but one of them, one big one is, yeah, speech. Can you give a kick-ass speech? And that can convince people and shift things and change. Mm. But now in the COVID world, it also has it's become this conversation about what is essential, uh, what is that word? Essential, essential service. What's an work? essential yeah. service? Yeah. I remember when the yeah. first stuff happened, mm. there was a, a, a mad cartoon with a pie chart um, that was depicting what are the essential services in Singapore, I think it came out in, in a magazine, in a newspaper in Singapore. And it was like this amazing character with this two pie charts showing what are the essential services, what percentage makes them, you know, essential to a society or whatever. And people were using it to show, you know, look, art is only 10% of the essential service. And I was like, yeah, but an artist had to make that to communicate that to you. You wouldn't have read an article about that. That image is like, boom, straight away we can see it all. But art is not essential. And that is really, I guess guess at its heart, that that is the point of this podcast at its heart is that, you know, we are all consumers of art, whether we realize it or not. It's everywhere, man. The microphone you're speaking into an artist, like someone had to design that. Totally. And and creativity of the engineer had to come out. Here's an out there question, right? Do you think we we will or could get to a point where um, good art could be generated by AI algorithms you know uh, that it because uh, oh, I've thought I've had this shit. we're just going to go for another hour no, but I've had <laughs> <laughs> but I've but I've had this thought before that could a computer at some point create a theater show much better than we could make or or create a poem you know that is as good as a human could write or do you think there's something kind of fundamental that needs human involvement um 
good is is very arbitrary as good as is extremely arbitrary it's like when someone's like there's you know a few poets that are kind of um, brown males with beards and you know one of them i'm not going to say their names one of them i think is awesome and the other one i think is not good at all but us three always get mixed up with each other people are like oh i love that poem that you did about this and i know that it's that other dude's poem and i consider him to not be a good poet at all <laughs> you know what i mean so that's me kind of going i've been working for decades on this shit you know what I mean? Like, I know that my work... But it doesn't matter because if the audience turns up and they get touched by that guy's work, mm. then it's good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and it, and it makes them feel something. So, yes, an AI could produce something and people could turn up and they sit at home watching Australian Idol all week and they go to that and they're like, oh, that was amazing. <laughs> you know, like... You're, so, you're, so you're saying by its very nature, art is subjective and so there's probably going to be... Someone yeah, would like I pay? No. Because I want to pay the artists. I want my money to go to a human experience, to go to the idea that somebody can, you know, have a child and struggle with that, make a theater show out of it and get paid to to take what they're experiencing life and through the alchemy of their work create a piece of art that I get to experience. So it's the story it's the story of how the work came to be not just the end result itself 100%. it's that you know that that person it's lived experience. 100%. Yeah. 100% and that they've poured their heart out on that. The more AI it's like it's like going to Woolies and half of Woolies now is like AI checkout, you know, with one person. Mm-hmm. So that could have been 10 or 8 checkout people having a job but now there's just one person with a job and eight computers yeah, economic if we start paying ai the, the more people more people are going to pay ai and that ai thing is going to make 10 books of poetry a year like it's just i find it shit mm. i find it shit because we're getting further and further away from like touch and feel and your flaws as a human being and why your your and, art is yours and no one else's and like also processing why? we talk a lot you know when we teach uh, particularly students and 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 I think it comes through in our work and and yours as well you know that that process is so important you know it's not just about the product it's about the process to create that and 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 almost like particularly when we teach a workshop you know you you, you kind of want it doesn't matter what we do at the end of the workshop it doesn't matter like often you get that pressure sometimes from a teacher or a educator to go oh I want them to come out with a scene at the end or can can you kind of work with yeah. these kids for a day or a week and and do a show at the end and you're like well we can but there's no guarantee it's going to be any good Mm -hmm. but what we can guarantee is that we can make sure they have a really rich process and they learn a shit ton of stuff Mm -hmm. during that time Mm -hmm. and that's far more important than the end product because the end product will always be subjective no matter what Mm -hmm. you know but i think what you touched on is this insight into there's some touch of the human that has gone into that work mm. that we that makes us innately as human connect with it on a deeper level because yeah. it's less about whether it's good or bad or did you like it or not like it. it's like did you feel did it connect with you on some yeah. level and, and this is just a result i find of like rabid capitalism that it's like we we can find a way to make this art without a person needing to do it awesome but like you say it's like the process you know what i mean like I went to Greece, I stayed in the village with my family for like four months last two years ago, end of 2009. Thank God we did that before this shit happened. And and like, yeah, I could just buy olive oil 
from the corner shop, you know, or from the dude around the corner from the from the house we're staying in, or I can go with my cousin to the vineyard with like a rake in each other's hands and a and a big mat on the ground and rake the olives off the tree for like five days and then take sacks of that on our shoulders to the community olive press and you give it to the olive press and they keep 10% instead of paying them they keep 10% of your oil and they sell it themselves and that's how they make their money back and then at the end of the day you've got like you know 200 liters of oil from five days work and you keep it for the whole year and it's the family olive oil like Fuck a world where those experiences don't exist. Because that it's is all, the point. Oh, yeah, that is the point of life. For me, that's the point of life. It's not because I want olive oil. It's because I want to know the land. I want to know how it feels to hold the rake because my grandparents held the rake. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. this can't be AI'd. You're, like, you're fuck dead AI'd, right. You're dead right. And that's why we've take, made all these shortcuts in the name of efficiency because yeah. we're racing to what? None of us know what we're racing towards. We're just racing well, to being squeezed more and more and more to produce more and more and more to, you know, it's all about our productivity rate. But like, man. Yeah. Yeah. Life happens outside of productivity. That's a, a great, lot of life happens. I think that's a great note to finish up on. Luca Lesson, you're a real person. We can see you sitting here in <laughs> yeah. front of us. If people, if this people, a public service <laughs> announcement. If people want to, an AI. <laughs> he, he, man, if people are interested in in what you do, they want to check out more. They want to yeah. su- support you as an artist. They believe in you. Where can mm-hmm. they go? Yeah, I got a website, lucalesson.com.au. I got a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash lucalesson. Um, or just send me a DM. Tell me how your day's going on the on the instas. <laughs> yeah, legend man thank you so much and uh you made me uh both sad uh at the prospect of not being able to come to your village in greece and rake olives and make olive oil with you bro one day uh, but also you know i am hopeful that sometime soon we, we can do that and uh yeah, go to your village and and share that experience with you man because that's uh yeah it's really special and thanks for your time bro. Pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, boy. thank you